0: Isn't that a great thought? Then will he own my worthless name before his father's face, and in the new Jerusalem appoint for me a place. We're glad that you're here today to participate in our worship and our study of Scripture, and I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to First Peter chapter four, beginning in verse twelve that you heard read just a moment ago. As we'll be thinking about the words that Peter wrote so long ago, the twenty-second chapter. Uh, The Gospel of Luke tells us that while Jesus was being interrogated in the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, that Peter, along with a crowd of other people, were down in the courtyard of the high priest's house, and it was cold, and they were warming themselves by a fire. And three different times, somebody singled out Peter and said, surely this man was one of them. Identified him as a disciple of Jesus. And three times he said no. He denied that he even knew who Jesus was. Verse 60 says that before Peter could finish his last denial, before the sentence was finished, that the rooster crowed and Peter looked toward Jesus and Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Why do you think he did that? You know, from the Gospels, we know Peter is a bold man. We know Peter is a man of courage. We know Peter is a man of action. But here, all of a sudden, when he's put on the spot, he denies that he even knows Jesus. In spite of the fact that he'd been warned by Jesus that this would happen, in spite of the fact that he had declared openly, fiercely... Though they all fall away from you, I will never fall away, he said. I'll die first, he said, before I would ever deny you. And yet he did it. Why do you think he did? Well, obviously he was afraid to be identified with Jesus. It was dangerous to be identified as a companion or certainly a disciple of a man who was about to be crucified as an insurrectionist. And Peter very likely could have faced crucifixion along with him, and he knew that. But I think there's something else going on here besides just the fear of death. I think it's the fact that Peter got caught off guard. I think it's the fact that he thought by mixing and mingling with the crowd of people in the courtyard that nobody was going to single him out, nobody was going to point to him and say, surely you're one of them, surely you follow this man. I think he was caught completely off guard, and because of that, he did something that brought him grief and brought him shame. But I'm sure he also learned something from that experience. I think he learned, first of all, never to be caught off guard again, and as far as we know, he never was, but also never to be ashamed of following Jesus. When we look at our text today, Luke chapter 4 Uh, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19, Peter is writing to persecuted followers of Jesus. And he's writing to them to avoid his mistakes, he says. And so he tells them two things not to do. He says, don't be surprised, in verse 12, at this fiery trial that comes upon you, and don't be ashamed of Jesus our Lord. Don't be surprised and don't be ashamed. He talks about not being surprised in verses 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised. at a fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, if you've been with us the last several weeks, you know that all through this letter, he's talked about it. He's talked about suffering. He's warned about it. And he's tried to let these believers know and let us know that following Jesus means that we should expect suffering because we're living in a toxic world. We're living in a world that does not love and honor our Savior. We're living in a world that does not respect the fact that we follow him and put him first. We're living in a world that does not respect the fact that we try to live by the standards that he taught and that we know is God's will for his people. And so suffering, Peter says, is to be expected. Don't be surprised at it, he says. Don't act like this is something you didn't see coming. Don't act like this is something that... You never thought it could happen to you because it is to be expected, he says. And notice that he says, don't be surprised when it happens to you, not if. He doesn't say if it happens to you, but when it happens to you. People who are serious about following Jesus and living righteous lives will always, will always be misfits in a world that does not honor him or the Christian way of life. You know, suffering for Christ can take a lot of forms. Peter mentions a fiery trial, a fiery trial. And I don't know how literally he meant that, but I know that obviously the people to whom he was writing were experiencing some serious suffering. This is not minor stuff here. This is not being shunned because of Jesus. This is being punished. This is being hurt. This is perhaps even being martyred. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but the, the numbers vary. The statistics are kind of hard to nail down, but it is certain that tens of thousands of Christians around the world are martyred every year because they believe in Jesus. I'm not just talking about people who die who are believers in Jesus. I'm talking about people who die because they're believers in Jesus. They are martyred for their faith. It's happening all over the place. It happens in Iran and in South Korea and South Sudan and in Pakistan and in India and in Nigeria and a host of other places. People die for their faith. They suffer this fiery trial that Peter is talking about. We noticed several years ago in our food pantry that a lot of people from Egypt were coming and getting food and they were newly arrived immigrants. Most of them could speak no English and usually had to bring a translator with them. And one day I asked one of the translators, why are so many people moving here from Egypt? And she said, these are Coptic Christians, and they're being persecuted in their homeland, and they had to leave or they would have been killed because there is an effort to kill all believers in Christ in their country. Can you imagine that? An effort to kill everybody in the country who believes in Jesus. And so they were fleeing in order not to be killed for their faith. And then notice Peter also mentions another kind of suffering in verse 14. He said, if you were insulted for the name of Christ. Now that hits a little closer to home, doesn't it? I imagine more of us have been insulted than have ever been killed for our faith. In fact, I'm pretty sure nobody here this morning has ever been killed for their faith. (laughs) But a lot of us have been insulted for our faith or about our faith. That happens uh, a lot. There's not anything unusual about that. But such insults were even worse in Peter's time. And the reason they were worse was because Peter was living in what was called a shame and honor culture. And there are a lot of shame and honor cultures around the world today. In a shame and honor culture, if you are honored, it brings honor on not you, but to your family and to your community and to your nation and and it just kind of flows out and like you know ripples from a stone thrown in the water and the same way if you bring shame it's not just shame on yourself but it's shame on everybody around you it's shame on the people who raised you it's shame on the people among whom you live they're all embarrassed that's the way it works in shame and honor culture and so to be ostracized by the people whose whose respect you desire was about the worst thing that could happen. And so when Peter says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, he's talking about a very heavy penalty. He's talking not just about a put-down. He's talking about something that brings actual shame and humiliation, public humiliation on the person who experiences that. But Peter says, notice, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed now, in his day and time and in his culture, that was a, a completely nonsensical statement. If you are insulted, you're blessed. They just, they, nobody could imagine that. How can you be blessed if you're insulted? Because you, by being insulted, you're bring, bringing that shame on everybody around you. But Peter says if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because you're being honored in, in a way that cannot be seen, but it's no less real. Because you're sharing, he says, in the sufferings of Jesus himself. He says in verse 13. And he says that you have joy awaiting you because of that. So he says when you are insulted for the name of Christ, you don't slink away and cry about it. He says you rejoice over it because you are sharing in the sufferings of Jesus himself. Do you remember that occasion in Acts chapter 5 when Peter and John were brought before the Jewish council? And they had been told earlier in chapter 4, don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. But they did it anyway. And so they were rearrested and brought in before the council. And and most of the council wanted to kill them. They were going to execute them right then and there. This will stop this. We'll just execute them then and there. That was a, a harsh reality that they could have faced. One man by the name of Gamaliel said, now, wait a minute. Not sure if we ought to do that. He says, if this movement is not from God, it'll die of its own accord. If it is from God, we don't want to be found opposing God. Let's, let's, just, let's just chastise them and then release them. And so instead of killing them, they beat them. They beat them up. And Acts chapter 5 and verse 41 says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They left the presence of the council rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. If I just got beaten up for the faith, I think rejoicing would come kind of hard. But Peter says, Don't be surprised when this comes upon you. It may be the fiery trial, it may be the insult, but count it all joy because you've been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And somebody says, well, does that mean we ought to seek suffering? Should we go out and try to provoke people to persecute us? No, if you're serious about following Jesus, suffering will seek you. You don't need to go looking for it. In fact, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You stay close enough to Jesus, there will be some form of persecution and then all those songs that we've sung this morning will have a different meaning to you all those songs that we've sung will not just be great old hymns but they will actually be the words that will come to your mind because you've suffered for the name of Jesus well that raises a question doesn't it why don't more of us suffer if that's the case Why don't more believers suffer? Why don't we all suffer? Why don't we all suffer all the time if we're all trying to follow Jesus all the time? Well, that's not a simple question. Some people suffer more than we know. Not all suffering is martyrdom. There are other kinds of abuse, and a lot of people suffer it. Some of you do. Some of you have, and some of you still do. There is abuse that people suffer about which we never know. And then also there's the fact that our culture values freedom of religion. We, we pride ourselves on that, and so we have a, a bit of a mantle of protection about us. You might get insulted. You might get the, the harsh word or the put-down or something every now and then, but it usually doesn't go much beyond that, at least not, not here where we live. But that doesn't mean we'll always have that protection, and we'd better be prepared, not be surprised. So that's part of the picture, but also... Until recently, ours was a Judeo-Christian culture that was founded and operated on biblical principles. But that's gone. That's over. And it won't do any good to just sit around and talk about how much better it was back then. We just have to learn to live with a new reality. That there will be various kinds of suffering. But we still have to be faithful to Christ. We aren't called to follow him only when it's easy. But then also, there's this sad fact. Maybe it's the case that more of us don't suffer because our commitment to Christ is so nominal, so silent, and so weak that it never arouses any opposition. Could that be it? Could it be the fact that we never say enough about Jesus that anybody's going to know we're a Christian? Could it be the fact that our commitment to Him is so nominal that nobody ever (laughs) finds it offensive? You know, Paul preached about the offense of the cross, the fact that the cross was offensive to people. In our day and time, we're more concerned about not offending people. And so we don't want to tell them about the offense of the cross. And we sometimes act as though we are ashamed of it. Nominal Christianity, though, is not only tolerated, it's applauded. People love that. You know, if if you don't really believe it, if you don't really put yourself out there, if you're not really committed and you don't ever say anything about it, people love that, that's, oh, that's great, that's the way everybody ought to be. Because then you're no different from the world. But that's not what we've been called to. When we get more serious about being like Jesus and about telling others about him, you can watch what will happen. And I'll tell you one thing that will happen is you'll understand First Peter a lot better and you'll understand the book of Revelation a lot better. In talking with people in other cultures, who suffered persecution, I found that they are attracted to these books in a way that Christians in the U.S. are very often repulsed by them. Whereas we look at Revelation they say, what a strange, weird book. And it talks about all that unpleasant stuff. Believers in lands where they are persecuted love those books because they're part of the story. And they know that that's their story. So Peter says, don't be surprised when opposition and suffering come To you because of Jesus he says instead rejoice but then in verses 15 to 19 he says don't be ashamed now there are some things that people especially Christians ought to be ashamed of Peter says in verse 15 let none of you uh, be found to be a murderer or an evildoer or a thief or or, uh, a meddler and if you are shame on you if you do any of those things he says shame on you but don't be ashamed of the name of Jesus following Jesus is not something to be ashamed of verse 16 yet if anyone suffers as a Christian let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name you see there's that shame and honor culture in which which he lived again that if you suffered because of Jesus that would bring shame on you and he said oh no no he said if you suffer as a Christian let him not be ashamed but glorify God in that name You know, today, followers of Jesus normally self-identify as Christian. Somebody asks you, what's your religion or what's your preference or something of that nature? You say, Christian. The interesting thing is that's a word that's found only three times in the New Testament. Only three times. It's not what Christians called themselves originally. The first time we find it is in the book of Acts, chapter 11, verse 26, uh, when in Antioch, the disciples were called Christians for the very first time. They'd never been called that before. But once they began evangelizing, these Gentiles in the city of Antioch, people began to call the fo- their followers of Jesus Christians. The second time we find that is in Acts 26 and verse 28, when Paul stood before King Agrippa and he reasoned with him uh, about righteousness and about judgment to come. And Agrippa was alarmed, and he said, Paul, do you think that in a short time you will make me a Christian? And then the third time is here in 1 Peter 4, 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Did you know that the name Christian was apparently originally a a put-down? That when people first said it, they didn't mean it as a compliment? we'd take it as a compliment, wouldn't we? Somebody says that, you know, he's a real Christian. But back in those days when they were using it, it was something like, Oh, that's those Christ people. How many of you remember the Jesus people? Okay. Two of us. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, a kind of a hippie movement, you know, back in the sixties uh, and seventies. And these people just sort of opted out of normal uh, society. And, and they were just kind of radically following Jesus. And they were called Jesus people. And it wasn't a compliment. People said, oh, that's just those Jesus people. Well, that's kind of the way it was in the early church. People were called those Christ people. And when they heard that, they said, yes, that's who we are. We are the people of Christ. We are the followers of the Messiah. That is who we are. We like being identified with him and by his name. And that's what Peter says. If you suffer for the name of Jesus, our name of Christ, somebody calls you a Christian, then in that name, glorify God. It carries great honor to be called by his name. It also carries great obligation because he says, let him glorify God in that name. If you're going to call yourself by that name, live up to it. If you're not going to live up to it, don't call yourself that. Because if you call yourself that and you're not living up to it, then you're bringing dishonor to the name. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, live up to it. So in verses 17 and 18, Peter says something that perhaps puzzles us. He says that the suffering of Christians is a sign of things to come. And he calls it their judgment. He says, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So he says there's a judgment for believers. But what we have to understand is that the judgment of believers is a judgment of purification. It's a judgment that makes us stronger. It's a judgment that thins the ranks. Because when it starts, those who aren't serious about following Christ won't stay around. It's a judgment that, yes, it hurts. Yes, it is sometimes difficult for us. But at the same time, it actually helps us to endure. Did you know that throughout history, the church has been strongest in times when it has undergone persecution? And throughout history, the church has become weak and flabby when it became easy to be a follower of Christ. For about the first three centuries of existence of the church, it was an illegal religion in the Roman Empire. And there was a lot of persecution. It came and went; it wasn't always consistent, but there was a lot of it until finally in the fourth century when the emperor Constantine gave legal protective status to the Christian faith. And then guess what happened? Floods of people began following Jesus because it was easy and it was popular. But you know what else happened? The church kind of went down the tubes. It became weak and flabby and and wandered off doctrinally and got off into all kinds of weeds theologically. It turned into sort of a mess and it took a long time for Christians to kind of find their bearing again. This judgment of believers is not a bad thing but he says that this judgment of believers is only a foretaste of what will happen to those who do not obey the gospel of God. And then he quotes Proverbs eleven thirty one: 31. If suffering happens even to godly people, what do you think is going to happen to the ungodly? What do you think is going to happen to people who don't follow Jesus? I've heard people say, I don't want to follow Christ because there's suffering involved. Let me tell you something, friend. You don't follow Jesus, and there'll be far more suffering involved. Be far more suffering involved. So, what should believers do? Well, just what Peter says don't be surprised and don't be ashamed. Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Just entrust your soul to God and keep on doing the right thing. Whatever you're going through because of your faith, you can be certain of God's blessings. You can be certain. You can be certain of ultimate victory. So just keep on doing the right thing. Here's the way Paul put it when he wrote to Timothy. He said, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now is even manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and preacher and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed, And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. I'm not ashamed, he said. So Peter says, don't be surprised. Don't be ashamed. But be sure to obey the gospel of God and stay close to Jesus no matter what. Let's stand together and sing.